morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day out there. And if the history of this spring has anything to do with it, it'll be 93 tomorrow and snow on Friday. Um, today's scripture lesson, if you want to follow along, um, is in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading at... What verse is that? 8. Elisha here is the main character. When the king of Arab was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers. He'd say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. Now, keep in mind, what you hear in political worlds today is about leaks, information leaking out. Here's, Here's a classic example of information leaking out. And what the king of Arab is mad about is that Elisha, as you'll see in the next few verses, is divulging information. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Armenians are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to that place, indicated by the man of God, Elisha, warning the people there to be on their guard. This happened several times. The king of Arab became very upset over this. He called in his office and said, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, one of the officers replied. It's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. The king commanded, go and find where Elisha is and we will send troops to seize him. And a report came back, Elisha is at Dotham. So one night the king of Arab sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and he looked out the window and he went outside, there was troops, there was horses, and there was chariots everywhere. Oh my Lord, what are we going to do now? He cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha said for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened his servant's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Armenian army advanced toward them, He prayed, Lord, please make them blind. And the Lord did as Elijah asked. Then Elisha went out and told him, you have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, hey, Lord, please open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord did that. And he discovered that they were in Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Of course not, Elijah told him. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink. Send them home again to their master. So this king made a great feast for them and sent them on their way to their king. After that, the Armenian raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. 
There was a very wealthy man one time, and he was at death's door, and he was in deep distress. And he prayed to God, and he prayed to God, and God finally sent an angel to him. And the angel was going to administer him in the last few hours of his life. And the angel said to him, what is your problem? The man said, you know, I've worked hard my whole life, and I know I'm about ready to die, and I've accrued a mass amount of love, and I know I can't take it with me. I just asked to be allowed to take a little bit. So the angel appeared before the Lord. The Lord says, well, let him take a suitcase. The man died. Appeared before St. Peter. St. Peter looked down and said, that's all the suitcase. He goes, nope, there's no carry-ons up here. And he goes, no, I, I got permission from the angel. St. Peter checked with the angel, and the angel said, yeah, that's right. He has got permission. So St. Peter's curiosity was really up there. It's like, what matters so much to this man that he could take it with him to heaven, that he had to have it? He opened up the suitcase, and here were 30 bars of 14 karat gold. And St. Peter looked at him and he goes, you brought pavement? The Bible tells us not just in this morning's scripture, that you have angels watching over you. But what, is that, what does that mean? I mean, there's, there's kind of a true story of a family who was desperately trying to sell their house, and it was located on a busy street, and a real estate agent was so encumbered with trying to sell this house, he had open houses going on every day to show it. And the parents of the home instructed their children to never talk to anybody that was interested in buying the house. And finally, one day, a man was there, and he got a little girl off to the side, one of the little girls. She was seven years old, and she said, uh, tell me any secrets you know about this house. And she goes, no, I can't do that. He says, oh, come on now. Just tell me. I promise I won't tell anyone. And she leaned forward, and she whispered, we have angels watching over this place. There's an old gospel hymn that says, All night, all day, angels watching over me, my Lord. All night, all day, angels watching over me. I went down to the valley to the prey, angels watching over me, O oh Lord. My soul got happy, and I stayed all day, angels watching over me. When my heart is sad and blue, Angels watching over me, my Lord. I call on him to see me through. Angels then are watching over me. Angels standing all around me. Angels watching all over me. They tell me how much God loves me. Angels watching all over me. Now, that's a really nice song. Uh, but is it true? You know, do we really have angels watching over us? All you have to do is open the book and read all the examples. Apparently, the king of Syria had discovered that Elisha had been warning the king of Israel about ambushes Syria had set for Israel's army. And he was not happy about it, so he sent a huge army to seize Elisha and bring him back to his city. 
horses and chariots and a great army came by night. And in the morning, Elisha's servant goes out to the well and is frightened because the enemy has surrounded the city. In a panic, he runs back to Elisha and Elisha tells him, hey, no, don't be afraid. And then Elisha prayed to the Lord and have him open his eyes and see this vast angelic army. This is a repetitive theme through scripture. God sends his angels to watch over us. Now, does he necessarily always send them to rescue you? Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. Psalm 91, 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And the New Testament tells us, are not angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 1.14. God sends angels to watch over us, to serve you and me. They are our servants. That means you have got friends in high places and they're not politicians. So consequently, they won't take a bribe. So when Elisha prayed, open his eyes that he may see, suddenly the servant's eyes are open, and he saw that the mountains were full of horses and chariots. And that is what is all around us now. Those who are with you are more than those that are with anyone who oppose you. That's what Elijah's words are. And greater is he, it says in 1 John, he is in you than is in this world. A guy wrote a beautiful song that says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind me. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Where did Tomlin get that idea? That's the guy that wrote the verse for that video. He got it from the Bible. The Bible talks about God being the Lord of hosts. In the story of David and Goliath, for instance, David tells Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Who are these hosts that David's talking about? Who are the armies of, Ab of Israel that David relied? These hosts and those armies were angel armies. And that's why he could confront Goliath with confidence. Not only... Goliath, was Goliath outnumbered? So was the entire Philistine army. They didn't stand a chance. Now, if you think about that story of David and Goliath, how come that angel army didn't step up for King Saul and the Israelites before this? Well, Psalm 34, 7 tells us, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. You have to be looking for God's power. I'll say it again. 
You have to be looking for God's power in order to receive it. And David was the only one that day that trusted God enough to believe that God could deliver him. Now, I'm not sure David ever saw an angel. I'm not sure he'd give angels a second thought, to tell you the truth. Why? Because David had his attention so fixed on God that he knew that God would take care of him. Often, angelic stories from people today, where's the setting for them? Normally, it's in a hospital. Lucy Baylor was sick, bad sick. She had a tumor the size of a grapefruit on her uterus. She was diagnosed. She went in for surgery. The surgery was successful, but her problems weren't over because the pain was so great that they had administered morphine to her. Her body rejected the morphine and it got worse. So the doctors quickly tried to change all the different medications they could think of to ease her pain and put her to sleep until she healed. In the middle of the night, when she finally passed out, the last thing she did was pray, God, deliver me. Deliver me from this pain or take me. And she woke up, and by her bedside was a nurse with short brown hair, kneeling and praying with the Bible in front of her. And the odd thing about this nurse, she was dressed in a 1930s, 40s era nurse hang outfit, you know, with ankle length dress tri-cornered cap and she was startled and she said who are you and, and, and what time is it and the nurse didn't answer the second question but the first question said I was sent here to make sure you'd be alright you are going to be fine and got up Oh, by the way, she said before she left the room, Lucy, it's 2.45. The next morning, when the doctor came to visit Lucy, she said, who was that nurse that came in last night? The doctor said, what did she look like? She said, she had short brown hair. She was of medium height. She had an older nurse outfit on. The doctor said, we have no one on our staff with short brown hair. I'm sure it must have been a dream. And he looked her over and he said, you're healing nicely. And so the rest of the morning, that woman asked the other nurses that came in, who is the short, short gal with short brown hair that's on your staff? She said, no nurse exists like that. And she said, what did she say to you? She said, you will be okay. And then all of a sudden, it occurred to Lucy that when the nurse 
that the visitor said to her, it's 2.45, it was the exact time that was on her birth certificate, date of birth, 2.45. So one of the dangers then about preaching about angels is that we can tend to forget who gives power to the angels. You know, angels are not really the source of our prediction. God is. And David knew that. That's how he could fix his mind on God as the source of power and protection. Angels probably surrounded David just like he did. Elisha, or they did. And, and they're the ones that surround you and me. Do you believe in angels? I mean, you're probably like me. You get up in the morning, and there's a lot on your head, in your head. But ain't usually thinking about angels. I think I might have seen one years ago. That's my only source of angel evidence. And what happened there was I was snowshoeing up a remote mountain drainage in the dead of winter, checking martin traps. And it was in a drainage where there was steep chutes coming down to the valley floor. And they were prone to slide at a moment's notice. So every day that I ever snowshoed up them, I'd always make note of what the snow was doing. One day I got to one of those chutes and if you've ever been around when an avalanche slides, it will send up a volume of crystal flakes into the air, almost like you set up a stick of dynamite. And they'll go up a thousand feet and then they'll just all flutter to the ground. So it makes almost like a snow fog around you. Well, I had gotten to one of those chutes just after it had slid. And so everything was enveloped into that crystalline Snow, and I looked on the edge of the chute, and there was a guy standing there looking at me. And he had something over his shoulder, like an axe or something. I couldn't see, make out what it was that he was carrying, nor could I make out what he was. But he was on my side of the chute, almost like I wasn't supposed to go across it. After the snow finally settled, and I'm trying to get the tears out of my eyes trying to figure out what happened. And now it was safe to cross the bottom of it because it was all hard snow. The vision was on the other side. And again, I looked and I looked and I looked. And then when I blinked, it was gone. Now, I don't rely upon angels. I rely upon God. But I know they're there. We don't pray to angels. Notice that Elisha, he never prayed to the angel army. Who did he pray to? He prayed to God. Then Elijah prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open your eyes that he may see. And so Elisha prayed to God and not to the angels. And that's because that vast army of angels didn't belong to him. The angels may have been the servants, but they did not belong to him. Who did those angels belong to? They belonged to God. Because God was the Lord of hosts. So why would I want to talk to angels when I can talk to their boss? Why would I want to talk to the second in charge when I can talk to the leader? Hebrews 4, 15, 16 tells us this. Since we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted 
as we are tempted, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to that throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace him in our time of need. Why talk to angels when we can boldly approach God's throne, like it says in this verse, and talk directly to him? I have permission, you have permission from God to go directly to him. Can you believe that? You don't need an appointment. You don't need no resume. You don't have to be perfect. Now, there are people that say that they do pray to angels. In fact, there are a number of websites on the internet who say they can teach you how to pray to angels. Don't trust those people. Those are not godly people. They are pagans. If they claim to be Christians, they're lying to you. By trying to talk with angels, they're trying to take an end around God by going to angels first. They don't want to entrust themselves to God because he wouldn't want to do things their way. And so they want to get the angels off to the side and get them to help them. Maybe God would not. Don't pay people like that any mind because they don't know what the heck they're talking about. Don't pray to angels. It's a stupid idea. It's paganism at its worst. It's heresy. When your loved one dies, they don't become angels. Your mama, she might have been an angel, but she'll never be one of the angelic beings that God created. Your Uncle Fred and your Aunt Susie, when they died, they didn't become angels. In fact, they might not have been all that angelic to begin with. It's been said that in but man was created a little bit lower than angels. And he's been getting lower ever since. But real angels, they're way, 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 way more powerful than any human being could ever be. If you read today's scripture, if you go a little bit deeper into 2 Kings, like around chapter 19, here's a great story here. If you want to know what angels are like, they're not that fat cherub hanging in a cloud, playing a harp. So in 2 Kings, Sennacherib, ever heard of Sennacherib? Well, he was this pompous guy. He was the king of Assyria. And he came and he surrounded Jerusalem with a mighty army and intending to dishearten the defenders, Sennacherib mocked Hezekiah. He was the king of Judah. And then, guess what? He made the mistake of mocking God. That's when we read 2 Kings 19.35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and he put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp in one night. When the survivors got up, they were surrounded by corpses. 2 Kings 19.35. Does that sound like a cherub to you? 
Sennacherib, he went home. And he never came back. Angels are intimidating creatures. That's why every time in the Bible an angel shows up in Scripture, the first words out of their mouth is, what? Don't be afraid. Because they can be very scary. But we don't have to be afraid of them because God uses angels as our servants. And they've been sent to watch over us. Now Psalm 8.5 tells us that God has made us a little lower than angels. In other words, we aren't created to be angels, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been elevated to a place higher than angels so that now not only are our servants, but get this. In 1 Corinthians 6.3, it tells us that one day we will judge angels. So don't be afraid of angels. They're on our side. They're our servants. They've been sent to watch over us. That is if you're not mocking God. That brings me to the comment of Elijah's servant when he saw the Assyrian army. He goes to Elijah's and he says, what shall we do? Now that's a pretty dumb question. The answer was obvious. There wasn't anything they could do. The city was surrounded by a massive army and there was only the two of them. There was nothing they could do. They could punt. They could wave a white flag. They could change their jerseys. But as dumb as that question is, we all ask it one time or another in our lives. What can we do? We get surrounded by situations. We get caught up in situations. We can't control the situations. We get overwhelmed by our troubles. We start concentrating on them. And the difficulties get worse and worse and worse and we start feeling trapped and there's no way out. And in despair, we say, what can we do? And deep inside, we know there isn't a thing we can do by ourselves. So we feel hopeless and desperate and miserable. Not a thing we can do. Well, that's not true. There is one thing you can do. You can pray to that Lord of hosts that David was talking about. The God of the angel armies. When we're faced with situations we can't control, we need to remember that God has not abandoned us. He'll not leave us. He won't forsake us. Now, I'd like to tell you that every time you pray to God for help, every time you pray to God for the heavens to open up and the angels come down and all your troubles will be swept away, and sometimes that does happen, I guess. But I've seen God act with magic and power. I'm pretty sure there's angelic stuff going on. But it does not happen all the time. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome this world. Roger Barrett. Here's another true story for you. Diagnosed with bladder cancer in 2009. The doctors examined him, made the diagnosis, said, hey, look, we can treat this as long as it stays in your bladder. Once it leaves your bladder, there's not a lot we can do for you. So after numerous checkups, in 2011, he was told, 
cancer had left his bladder and he had less than a 20% chance to live much longer. Well, Roger, he had one, he was a Christian man and he had one habit he always followed through on. And that was at Christmas time, he had this elaborate light display at his house. But it wasn't your normal Daffy Duck and Porky Pig Christmas display. It was scenes of the manger, happy birthday Jesus, come to Jesus, he is your savior, all in lights, 150,000 lights surrounding his house. And people would come from miles around to see it. Even though he was bad sick, he put the display up as normal. Well, he'd get people coming and going. And this particular Christmas, he's looking out of the windows and his people are actually getting out of their cars and walking around and looking at the manger scenes and looking at all that. He sees this oddly dressed couple. They're oddly dressed because they're not dressed up like his blue-collar workers that live around him. The man's got on a really nice suit. And he's walking with a woman that has an ankle-length, pure white coat on. And they stay there for two hours looking at everything. So finally, his curiosity is up. He goes out to talk to them. And they, they say, are you, are you the one in the house? I said, yeah. This is a brilliant display. We can really see Jesus in it. Unlike most Christmas displays. And he goes, well, that's the whole idea, the whole thing. And they said, well, keep it up, sir. We, we just love it. And the man looked at him and he said, how's your health? And Roger said, I have bladder cancer. The man says, God's aware of it. Don't worry about it. Can we pray with you? So he said, the three of them got together in a circle and held hands, and the man prayed for him. And Roger said, it was so funny at the time, as he could look down and see the hands grasping his hands, but could not feel a touch. And he said he felt like he was swinging on a swing and his feet were dangling below him. And after they got through praying, he immediately walked away. And he was so excited, he went in and he told his wife, did you see that couple out there? I just got through visiting and praying with them. She goes, what do they look like? He explained to her, the man had a nice suit on, the woman had a white coat. You know, honey, there was nobody out there. See, I've been watching you since you walked out of the house. He said, okay. Two weeks later, his doctors called him in and said, we need to observe you again. He went in. 48 hours later, he got a phone call. The doctor on the phone said, Roger, are you sitting down? I said, yes, why? He goes, you are completely cancer-free. We have done three tests. And we cannot find one cancer cell in your body. Now, we're, we don't believe the results, so we're taking future ones, and we want you to come in. But I just want you to know this good news. Roger's bill had always been between $850 and $950 the month of December for the electricity. Two more weeks passed, 
and he got a bill, electric bill in the mail for $85, which was a standard electric bill without running the extra lights. These and other stories seem very far-fetched. But there's a time when no matter how you act or what you say or where you go, things don't come together the way you want them to. Well, if that's true and angels don't stop the trouble I face, then what good are they? I mean, when trouble comes and it doesn't look like it's going away, like with Roger's case, they solved the problem, but it doesn't happen that way for everyone. Where are the angels at then? Where's that mighty force the scripture keeps talking about? Well, they're the same place they were when Jesus was betrayed. When the mob came to arrest Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Peter drove out his sword. What did he do? He attacked one of the men. But Jesus rebuked him and he said this. Don't you think that I could appeal to my father? And he would at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Matthew 26, 53. Now, 12 legions of angels, that's thousands and thousands of angels. Well, where are they at? What are those thousands and thousands of angels doing? Were they just up there in heaven watching? No, they weren't doing nothing. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine tells us Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, go pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and he prayed. And he's saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus was about to be arrested. He was put to, about to be put on trial. He was about to be beaten. He was about to be mocked. And then he was going to be crucified. Thousands upon thousands of angels don't come down and rescue him. But one angel and that's all Jesus needed. One angel came to strengthen him, to comfort him, to prepare him for the suffering he was about to face on our behalf. You see, sometimes angels may not come down to rescue you, but to put an arm around you and comfort you. Now, here's the deal. Did you notice that Jesus said before that angel came to his side, not my will, but thine be done. You see, there's going to be times when we're not going to be able to figure out anything that's going on in our lives, and we're not going to, and we're going to wonder, hey, where is God? Where are his angels? Where is all this stuff I've been depending upon? Jesus knew what he was going to face. He knew what was coming, and he knew the angels couldn't fix it for him. But one angel came, and that was all he needed. Someone said, 
when it doesn't look like God isn't doing anything, He's always doing something. He's doing things even when you don't realize He's at work in your life. But that's the deal. God doesn't always fix things the way you want them. Not my will, but thine be done. But the angels, regardless, you know what? They're still there. Now, one of the dangers of preaching about angels like this, I think, is that you get caught up in that bright bobble you see up there or think about. And you see angels, man, they're powerful, they're massive, they're impressive, and man, are they cool. I once carved an angel, and I wanted to have an angel that wasn't your typical angel. I wanted to have an angel that would give some kind of humanity to the feeling. And I did this research on the internet and looked at all the different kinds of angels I could find. I finally found one posed on a gravestone in Milan, Italy. And he's bare-chested, and he's sitting with his arms like this. He's got two massive wings. He's got a Grecian-style beard and hair. And he's got this look on his face like, I'm bored. And I got to thinking about that. I wonder if my angel looks like that or one of them. But then I come to think, no, he probably looks like this. <laughs> They're cool. Open your eyes. There's horses and chariots of fire all around you. I like that idea. But the problem is you can't focus on that type of thing. And you forget that it's not the angels that have true power. It's God that has the true power. And you can get to the point where you get distracted about this stuff and you begin to pay attention to the side issues. That's so why so many people pray to angels. And they have a list. They have a list of the names of angels and the descriptions of what each angel stands for. It's stupid, but that's what they do. Because they've been distracted from the true power. That's why in 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is he who is in you than he that is in this world. Angels are cool. I particularly like the ones that are crossed with red Dale hawks. They are part of the toolbox that God uses to accomplish his will. Really, that's what, that's what it amounts to. But don't ever be misled. Don't be deceived in believing that angels are something we should focus on. Because they're not. They are simply one of the tools God uses to serve us and protect us. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, on Christ and Him crucified. Because without Him, without Him, you have no. You have nothing because the angels are sent to serve those who are heirs of salvation. That's you and me. Everyone who has been bought, bought by the price, by the blood of God, by the blood of Jesus. Unless, of course, you don't belong to Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we start by stressing that we need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God that we acknowledge that you and me, each one of us, that we sin. 
and we need forgiveness and that only Jesus can give that to you. That we are willing to turn our lives completely over to him and allow ourselves to live for him, not just to pay lip service to him, but to live for the way he taught us to live. The testament today of you sitting in these pews, it's a beautiful day outside. Think of the hundreds of millions of people are doing what they want to right now. Whatever it is, but at least you acknowledge God enough in the point in your life that you have chose this morning to worship him. To be here this morning and pray to him and hear the concerns of others. Angels are mentioned 300 times in scripture. 300 times. Since their presence is a given fact, we need to understand how they affect our lives in this world. And we're living in a world of flesh and bone and they're coming from the spiritual realm. That's why it's such a hard Hard deal to understand this. You may find it unbelievable, and you have a hard time in convincing anybody else about this, you may find it unbelievable, but the moment, the moment you accepted Jesus and you asked for the forgiveness of your sins, God then assigned angels to administer to you. Hebrews 1.14 Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So, like I said, mentioned before, angels will not always rescue you. But angels, like other things that God puts in this world, are a source of comfort to you. They are a source of of hope for you. They are another gift of God that inspires you. And for me, that lifts me up. It lifts me up and, and, and makes me feel good. You take a deep breath for me at the fascination of everything in creation, like an eagle silently soaring over an open prairie. Or it's a young baby cooing in a room where there's no other noise. It's the affection your children give you at different ages of their upbringing. Your affection for you as a parent without saying a word. These are all gifts, just like salvation is a gift. A gift from God that apparently thinks enough about you to have angels watch over everything you do. Let's pray. Lord, I know I'm like probably everybody else sitting in here that when I'm driving to work in the morning or brushing my teeth or doing a million other parts of minutia that enter into my life, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the spiritual realm that you have sent to shadow us. 
don't know the times when I've been rescued. But I know they're there. Because the Bible tells me so. And I think that each one of us have looked back at our lives, our history, and think of many times when we've had unexplained help. Sometimes we chalk it up to coincidence or whatever human rationale that we could conceive of at the time. But as we get older, we realize that these things are outlined in the Bible. And the more you read the Bible, the more you begin to accept the things you can see and the things you cannot see. And the things we cannot see, Lord, are labeled as faith. So it's my prayer today that everybody that's sitting in here that has a contingency of faith in their life, that that faith may grow stronger in their life. That no matter what troubles they face, they get rooted in their faith. And they don't have to look back and go, gee, what was I thinking back then? I'm just going to trust the Lord. So I ask that you be with each and every one of us this week, in the coming days, no matter what we do, in all of our different vocations, and help us say and do the things that would make you go, hey, that's my kid down there. He's actually doing, not just saying. I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk to you. In Jesus' name, amen.